Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Loud and Clear podcast. This is a podcast amplifying the voices of women in music, and I'm your host, Olivia Adams. Today, we are celebrating the one-year birthday of my book, Loud and Clear. The book was how it all got started, so I thought that I would give you a little behind the scenes on how it came to be, and later on in the episode, we will hear from my publisher, Deborah Wanless. I will also do a special giveaway if you listen to the very end. Loud and Clear came out of my master's research. I did an MA in music with a specialization in feminist and gender studies at the University of Ottawa, where I did a study of music conservatories' inclusion of women in their piano syllabi. I was shocked at the results. Women made up only 13.7% of 20th and 21st century pieces over the last 50 years. Now, as a side note, a lot has changed in the last two years, with both the Conservatory Canada and the Royal Conservatory of Music revamping their syllabi and re-releasing them. It's been so wonderful to see the changes take place and also see my students be able to play a diverse range of music from a wide variety of composers who are female. That being said, there's still much more work to do if we want to break down the gendered hierarchies that are built into music education. When I was in the drafting and proposal stages of my study, I was told that I was looking for something that wasn't there, that there wasn't enough music by women to be included, and that music by women of color didn't exist. I was shocked. Now, I took this as less of a discouragement and more of a challenge. I began crafting a spreadsheet categorized by grade of piano music by women. The more I dug, the more music I found. I'm really profoundly grateful for organizations like Deborah Wanless Music, the Association of Canadian New Music Project, and the Redleaf Piano Works, who all grade their music. And in addition, I graded hundreds upon hundreds of compositions on my own according to RCM and CC standards. In the end, this collection of compositions was at nearly 4,000 works and included graphics and composer bios. I added it as an appendix to my master's thesis when I defended it. A month later, with the help of Derek Auger, the executive director at Conservatory Canada, I pitched the syllabus to publishing companies and Deborah Wanless Music picked it up. Over the course of that summer, we edited around the clock to get the syllabus ready for fall so that students and teachers could use it for the upcoming academic year. And in the end, I'm so happy with the final product. The book is a guide to leveled piano music by women composers in the 20th and 21st centuries. It includes grades preparatory to diploma, so it has something for everyone. Throughout the book, we have fun facts labeled as did you knows, like did you know that braille music uses a six dot matrix identical to the matrix for reading words in braille? And then it gives an example of how braille music looks and some more information on how pianists without vision read music. We have composer biographies and graphics. We include quotes from famous composers and musicians. I love the Women in Music timeline, which traces the progression of how women have shaped the music industry. It also includes some specific guides for teachers so that you can ask critical questions of the music that you're teaching, as well as guides for the technical aspects included in the music at each level. At the back of the book, we have publishing information and a composer glossary to make it easy to find all of the music. To give you a sneak peek into the music and the book, I'm going to read you the introduction. 
Dear reader, I am so glad that you picked up this resource. To me, this indicates that you are looking for ways to elevate the voices of women in your music studio. For far too long, the piano music canon excluded the voices of women. One small way we can advance the work and experiences of women is in advocacy through the arts. And what better way than by teaching and performing the music of women? Six years ago, when I began my university journey in music, I could count on one hand the number of female composers I knew. I had hoped that my music history and theory courses would help grow my knowledge of women who compose. By the end of the first year, I could maybe name 10, but was still left asking, where are all the women? In my freshman year, my piano teacher, Bonnie Nicholson, introduced me to the music of Alexina Louis through I Leap Through the Sky with Stars. I fell in love with a whole new world of music. I was hooked. I gravitated toward Louis' music and other contemporary works by women. For the first time, I saw myself in my music. This experience started me down a path of creating gender-balanced recital programs. My goal was to see just as many women as men on my recital programs. In my junior year of university, I spoke at my first international conference, Hands On Piano, in Aveiro, Portugal. While in Aveiro, I heard a presentation by two master students at the University of Aveiro. These men spoke about and performed music by women who were silenced by the communist regimes. I was intrigued. I wanted to know if women were silenced in North America too. I found that while the government did not silence composers in North America, many publishing houses, textbooks, and educational institutions, music syllabi, symphonies, and curricular materials ignored and overlooked the music of women. I can point to these two experiences as catalysts for my current career path, performing and researching music by women. At the University of Ottawa, I attended the joint MA program between the School of Music and the Institute of Feminist and Gender Studies, and this book is the result of my research there. It is inspired by the research of Zaina Shihabi, who performed a gender inclusivity study of UK music conservatory syllabi, and Dr. Leah Claiborne, who performed a race inclusivity study of the Royal Conservatory of Music, the 2015 piano syllabus. After studying the work of these two scholars, I conducted a gender-race intersectionality study while in my MA to see how women of color are or are not represented within conservatory piano syllabi in Canada. Here are a few statistics for your consideration. Women of color do not appear in Conservatory Canada repertoire until 1999 and in 1989 with the Royal Conservatory of Music. The only two included are Alexina Louis and Chi Huatan. The number of white women in piano syllabi increases with each new edition, but the number of women of color has plateaued at two composers for both conservatories. Music by women steadily declines at the rate of negative 2.4% in Conservatory Canada syllabi and negative 2% per grade in Royal Conservatory of Music syllabi. The following is the most staggering of all. Over the last 50 years of the Canadian Conservatory, women of color make up 0.6% of compositions in the 20th and 21st century repertoire. The regurgitation of a non-inclusive canon is oppression by omission. This represents the vast amount of work teachers, conservatories, educational institutions, and publishing companies need to do to decolonize the curriculum and listen to and perform the music of Black, Indigenous, and women of color. 
This number represents the missing voices of women who were and are composing piano music, but whom the canon ignores. I do not intend to criticize conservatories with these statistics. I still love and teach from conservatory music books and syllabi daily. The goal of the data study is to see where we are with inclusivity in the piano canon so that we can assess where to go from here. There is an immense amount of work to do. Our goal as educators is not to, quote, add diversity, but to interrupt systems of harmful colonial pedagogy designed to keep certain people out. We must rebuild our music spaces into ones where diversity is a natural byproduct, not something sprinkled in or checked off a list. With this syllabus, I hope to do a small part in weaving women back into the music history that for centuries kept them out. I desire my music studio to be one where each one of my students finds themselves represented in the music. I hope students know that the requirements for composition have nothing to do with gender, race, physical limitations, orientation, or economic status. While this syllabus contains an extraordinary amount of music at the elementary level, I did my best to include well over 1,000 pieces of repertoire for late, intermediate, to advanced levels. In my research, I found that the current piano syllabi in Canada include only two women of color. It took me no time to uncover the wealth of piano music by women of color. Almost all newly graded compositions in this resource are composed by women of color, LGBTQ plus composers, composers with disabilities, or compositions written for students with different physical limitations. Many other works included in this syllabus are from publishing houses that elevate women's voices, Deborah Wanless Music, Redleaf Piano Works, the Canadian Association of Women Composers, Ferrora Verleg, Mayfair, Canadian Music Centre, and the Alliance for Canadian New Music Project. I am Canadian, and naturally, I highlighted the work of many Canadian composers throughout this syllabus, while also featuring many composers from the United States, a few from South America, and the United Kingdom. In the Canadian private music curriculum, teachers rely heavily on graded works in music syllabi to help them assign appropriately leveled music for their students. In addition, it is often a requirement for students to be in a conservatory or grade level when entering music festivals, registered music teacher recitals, and to obtain conservatory certificates. This syllabus exists as a tool for music teachers when assigning music that is not leveled by conservatory or publishing house. In this resource, I graded according to the Canadian Conservatory Grading Standards and the model set up by Dr. Christine Tithicott and Dr. Leah Claiborne in their doctoral dissertations, which both contain newly graded works for the piano. At the beginning of each section, you will find a brief description of the level and what qualifies the music within that level. Each chapter represents an individual music level. The diploma level pieces range from a five minute to 30 minute pieces. I also include a list of ungraded music. This is music that exists mainly in archives and due to the COVID-19 pandemic, I was unable to visit the archives to level these pieces in person. Throughout the syllabus, you'll find composer highlights with spotlights and graphics and information about influential composers. Most of these women have piano works in the syllabus. These spotlights introduce students and teachers alike to the incredible women who compose music. The syllabus is not a complete edition, as I'm sure there are many musicians I have not yet learned about, but whose work should be in the resources such as this. I hope to continue to add to my collection and expand this resource in future years. 
My greatest hope with this graded listing is for pianists to have a resource to turn to, which centers and elevates the voices of women. I wish for musicians to listen to and learn from these women who are both historical and living today. I hope that students and teachers who found themselves excluded from the musical canon can look inside this book and see themselves represented. My wish is that this is a resource that is well used and well loved in your music studio. I hope you enjoy learning about the music of these composers as much as I have. This syllabus contains thousands of compositions by hundreds of composers over 130 years. We learn of the Rippling Spring Waltz by Estelle Ricketts in the southern United States, who was the first known woman of color to publish a piece of music, and Shakina Gonzaga, an abolitionist who used her music as a vehicle for social change. We travel to the coast of California with Karen Tanaka, who teaches about environmental awareness and a love for the planet through piano music. We travel to New York and listen to the dazzling pieces of Dana Suisse, who was only ever known as the girl Gershwin. We march to the suffragette music of Dame Ethel Smith and wonder at the sparkling terrestrial music of Alice Pingy Ho in Toronto, Canada. We head to my home city of Saskatoon and explore farm animals through Lynette Sawatsky's delightful elementary collections. We journey to my current home, Ottawa, admiring the flowers that Beverly McIver paints with sounds as she connects us back to the land in her Canadian Floral Emblems series. The voices of these women echo through the ages. Through their music, they are loud and clear. May we listen. So that was just a small introduction from my book, Loud and Clear. Now, this was published a year ago before a lot of the syllabus updates have taken place. And so I look forward to doing an, a revamp of the study that I did in my master's and just looking at the most recent syllabi put forward by both conservatories, because I think that they do a really wonderful job of adding more diverse voices to their music syllabi. So if you are interested in picking up a copy, there are several ways you can do it. We have Deborah Wanless Music Publishing. You can order online. You can order from my website, oamusicstudios.ca. You can order internationally now, as of last week, through 80 Days Publishing or you can order through your local music bookstore. I would so appreciate if you picked up a copy and let me know if you liked the book. So thank you so much. And now I would like to give you a little listen in on my conversation with Deborah Wanless of Deborah Wanless Music Publishing, and we talk about the publishing industry. So here, enjoy. Welcome, Deborah. It's so good to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and thank you for inviting me to join you today. I'm excited to, to share. Absolutely. It's, it's a pleasure. Can you let us know how you got started in music and what was that draw to the field? What was the origin story around that? So it's, it really started as, as a five-year-old. Um, my mom was really keen on um, finding a piano. I was the youngest of three girls. And so she really was looking for a piano they could afford and um, get it into the house. And from that day forward, I mean, I was one of those kids who couldn't walk by an instrument without having to play it. <laughs> and um, I, I have this really vivid memory of it. About eight years old, our teacher asked us to draw a picture of what we thought we would be when we were when we grew up. And my picture was of a piano teacher. And of course, everyone laughed and laughed. And it was like, I just knew from the beginning that music was going to be 
um, a huge part mm. of my life. Um, of course, at that point, I didn't know what that meant. And um, I just spent hours. I don't think I was practicing, but at the piano, <laughs> so much so that my older sister always complained about the noise that I was making. Uh, but it was um, music just drew me in because I loved the theories. I, to this day, I love just analyzing music and it, it sounds really sick, but nothing is more fun for me than going through and figuring out how it all went together and sort of the puzzle that it was. And I think I've always been pretty creative. So um, all of those things were just things that drew me in from the very beginning. And um, I don't think I ever thought of myself as anything but being in music in some shape or form. It's just, it's who I am, I think. It was just a a part of you. It was built in. I love that. So can you tell us uh, when Deborah Wanless Music was founded and how it came about? What was the impetus for starting your own publishing company? So it starts before Deborah Wanless because it started when when I was uh, teaching large classes as a young teacher. And um, I realized I I love to give my kids opportunities to perform. So we often tried to plan um, a monthly recital and often it was themed. So it could be a composer, it could be a theme. So like Halloween is an example for kids who celebrate that, right? And, but what I quickly learned was that when you have a large class, it's really hard to find enough material at an appropriate level. I mean, beyond March of the Goblins, you have to have material, right? So I started, I started writing for those recitals, Mm -hmm. which was really fun because it could be tailor-made for each child. And fairly quickly, local teachers were asking me if I would share that music and then festivals asked if I would share that music. So in the nineties, I actually launched my first publishing company and, um, that was self-publishing and a, a bit of a cooperative where other people were were uh, allowing me to, to distribute for them. And then in the early 2000s, around 2002, I was invited to do some contract work with both Waterloo Music Company to and, and Mayfair Music Company to expand their catalogs. And But they had very specific projects for me to do. And with Waterloo, it was to update the lawless theory, which has now morphed into the total theory series. It doesn't look the same at all, but it's really uh, grown. And with Mayfair, it, they had just acquired the rights to the Lila Fletcher piano series. And so I was invited to upgrade that and again, you know, contribute to the catalog. And by 2012, it felt like the right time to go back to my own publishing company because there were things that I personally had wanted to do. And um, so as they say, the rest is history. That's that's where it's it started then this this current company. So yeah. And it's really grown in the last few years, like in the last decade it's expanded to a, a large number of composers in Canada. Yeah, we, we are probably have the largest number of writers mm-hmm. in, our, in our collections. Of course, we also have the Northern Lights books, which are compilations of Canadian writers. And we had, I mean, I was the one who worked on that Canadian Contemporary Repertoire series mm-hmm. for Pitched It to Mayfair, and we produced it there. And um, since we started... Uh, in 2012 with DWM, we've done the Piano Zazz series, and we're actually just launching a new online 
download um, series called Super Sonic Solos. And they're going to be a graded uh, compilation of many uh, pieces from the individual collections. So the first one is the level one is almost ready to be launched and it has 35 pieces by 15 Canadian composers. So you can get a really great uh, overview of what these writers are doing um, from their collection. So they're drawn one from each collection to give uh, a great overview, I think so. Really useful anthologies, I think, particularly for teachers who teach a specific level of students. Yes. Yeah, yes. that's wonderful. Yeah, and great for kids to have something that we always make sure that they have an entrance level piece mm -hmm. and then, you know, almost progress right to the next grade. So as they're shifting grades or levels. So great quick studies, all kinds of things that we'll be able to use those for, I hope. That's wonderful. So when you're growing the publishing company, how do you make those decisions on how, who to add, how fast you grow? I'd imagine there's lots of things to consider before taking on a new composer, even if you really love their work. Yes. Yes. And, and it's been really, well, we'll probably talk about this, but it's been difficult through COVID. We had to be very, very cautious, but uh, so in the beginning, in 2012, I already had many writers that I wanted to target. And uh, so we grew really quickly in the beginning. Um, I had quite a, an extensive Deborah Wallace catalog to bring into it as well. And one of the things we avoid is competing pedagogy material. So uh, we have a method series, so we're careful about what we add so that we're not competing in that way. And likewise with our theories and so on. Then we also look at levels. You know, what are we going to produce? We don't want everything to be primary level or everything to be intermediate. We are pretty cautious about our advanced levels because that's the slowest growing one. And we probably have more downloads now for the advanced levels than we do hard copies, just so that students can have quick access to those things as well. It's a much smaller market. Yeah. We look at how the sales have been for that particular um, composer stylistic things we, we really pride ourselves in making sure that not only do we have what we would consider art music but we also have a strong pedagogy catalog because that's been really part of of my dna that's really important to me that we offer uh, stronger pedagogy materials across the board so so that kind of balance comes into play covid has been another beast when it comes into that but yeah so. Yeah. And maybe we can move on to that. Like, what are some specific challenges that are facing the publishing world right now? What kind of impact has COVID had on the industry? And then how can we as music teachers and music lovers support the publishing company so that you can continue to put out great products? COVID has really hit the music industry, I think, very seriously in, in, from performers to publishing companies to even teachers and teachers had to adapt so quickly to the online thing that I think that, and I understand that the easiest path is sharing of things online, which is how, how most people had to operate. Um, but that really hurt the, the publishing industry because there were no events for people to witness new music and experience it, meet composers, things like that. The, they couldn't go to stores and browse. Um, and because Sales were plummeting in those stores in the print music departments. They were not bringing in the new materials. So we we were, of course, optimistic in March of 2020 that, 
you know, we might have a rocky year. Well, three years later, we've seen a decline every year in terms of print. Then we ran into paper shortages. And if I'm to be honest, for us, it's been a bit of a nightmare. I mean, we've come through it okay, but we've lost a lot of ground in terms of that Canadian support of the product. And so that's been um, a little disappointing. And I hope that we can bring that back and make people understand that this is important to everybody's industry and for the children coming up. Some children will find their niche in the publishing world and we need to protect that so that it's going to be there for them. So it's, it's been a bit rough for sure. Absolutely. And so then when COVID sort of hit, did you find yourself making more, do you find yourself making more e-resources available because of the paper shortage or not, not as much? Uh, We didn't, we didn't initially because I believe in, I really believe in hard copies. I think that, I mean, we still have downloads. So so that's, you know, it's not that we totally dismiss that, but for me, I think hard copies are really important to children, especially highly tactile learners. We need to build libraries because I think that's what kids go to when they're a little bit bored. They might go to their cupboard and pull out those pieces that they love to play. They might begin to improvise on them and make them more challenging in in nature. So I think we forget some of that. I think that, like I mentioned, tactile students really like the hard copy. Um, Visually, it's very pleasing. It's not just stuck in a binder and black and white. We know that children react to getting a new book. It does so many things. First of all, they see it as success. They're being successful when they receive a new book. But they also read into this that my teacher believes in me. My teacher thinks I'm better than I was last week because I got a new book. And they are inspired to seek out the music within that book. So these are really important factors. And one of the things that I think we've all experienced is when kids get a new book, they often clutch it to their chest. They hug it. And we ignore that sign. That's a sign of, oh my gosh, this means so much to me as a person. And I think it's hard copy reading is really important. Um, You know, we, we all know that, of course, their kids are all online, but um, it doesn't always help reading because many of their games and things are coming from their, the things are coming from different directions so that left to right reading can be a problem if a child struggles with that. So there's so many reasons why we want to build these libraries. And so initially we did not, um, we, we, we felt no, it, it's going to be okay. Now, partway through we did, we were working on some projects that we had intended to be downloads, uh, like the Ernst Schneider Okanagan series is one of those. Um, so we went ahead and did some of those things and we brought a few more things out. Uh, but we, we didn't jump on board with that because we also felt that's a really competitive market. And it's important to me that people appreciate what our composers are doing. And it is easy to share that material. And I know lots of teachers do not follow the rules very carefully, but I think we we need to get back to why we like hard copy books as well. I think we don't want to lose that. That's an important part of what we do. And these are treasures that kids will keep. At workshops, I often say to teachers, how many of you still have the first the book you started in? And almost everyone raises their hand. So I'm going, okay, so we need to think about this. Yes, we're in a different world, but that doesn't mean there can't be a balance within that world. 
just last week, I had a, a student and I, I mean, I had ordered a giant box of Deborah Wanless <laughs> resources uh, to start off my year and uh, passing out books to students. And they did exactly that. They, you know, they hugged it to their chest. They wanted to go through it and see, oh, look at all the the characters and look at the music and oh, look at how it gets harder and it's longer here. And, and they just got so excited and to show their parents at the end of the lesson, look what I got. And then too, I, I can think back to when I first started taking lessons and I was progressing through books and oftentimes, because I I don't know, I was just, that kid was, I just was at the piano for fun. Even after practicing, you know, I was like you, I would just sit at the piano and play and I'd play through all my old books. And I used to have this tradition on Christmas Eve where I would pull out all of my Christmas books from all the years and I'd play through all my Christmas tunes on Christmas Eve (laughs) to make the day go by a little bit faster. (laughs) Exactly. And we had a tradition in our house that um, I was the youngest of three girls. Um, and, and significantly younger. So they had boyfriends while I was still basically a child. Fortunately for, for me, uh, they always had boyfriends who liked to sing. Mm. So we would often, <laughs> I would be at the piano and they would all be around me yeah. singing, you know, and, and that tradition has been lost. We're just not doing that kind of thing. But, but that's exactly what, what I'm talking about is these kids will go into those cupboards and bring out those books. And it just means so much to them to be proficient. I can play an entire book now. Yeah. If they don't have that book, that is lost. And that's part of the positive thinking and the power of going forward that kids need that we forget about. And it's like, we see that hugging, but we don't read the message as as much as we should. And it really is quite powerful. I I couldn't agree more. Do you find it tricky to balance composing and publishing at once? Or do you find that you go through seasons of you're very intense into one project and then very intense into another project? Balance doesn't fit in my vocabulary very well. So I'm not a really good person to talk about that with. What I've learned, uh, once I had the catalog, Deborah Wallace Music built to a certain point, I did slow down what I was willing to do for people. And, and they were much, very, very much accepting of the fact that there is a schedule now. And I try to schedule pretty much within the year as to what, what we're going to be doing. Of course, we slowed that tremendously through, through COVID. Um, but it's difficult because if I get into a project, I'm all in. Like it's so last year I was writing the an introduction to basic harmony. And so that became the focus. So I tend to be all in. It's really hard for me to balance both because as soon as I have a new project or someone incites a new project, <laughs> that's maybe not the right word, but um, I can't wait. I can't wait to be involved with that. So So it's a struggle for me. I guess the answer is no, I don't balance that very well. And it's not really one or the other. I try to maintain a balance. Yeah, starting to make changes to to work on that. I once heard a a business coach, I was listening to a podcast and she was saying that balance isn't being 50-50 split, but being 100% present where you are. And I was like, I think I kind of like that. Like no one is a full-time composer and doing nothing else unless they're, I don't know, maybe Martha Meyer or Catherine yeah. Rollins. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're all often balancing, you know, either doing workshops or 
presentations, uh, even if, you know, composing is your job or your teaching or your researching and, and writing and, and, you know, no musician is, is doing just one thing. There's performing as well as in all the other things. So it's, I like the idea of like balance is just being present wherever you are. (laughs) That's a really good thing. I think I will adopt that. That makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) I think it also gives me permission to have all my different interests. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Uh, so what's coming up for Deborah Wanless Music? What new releases can we look forward to? In the next two weeks, we'll probably be launching our Supersonic. Amazing. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. We just finished a book for Lidette Zawatsky, Count the Stars. Yay. Yes, Saskatchewan, right? Yes. And of course, Sandra Mogesen, there's another volume coming out of her book as well. So that's something to look forward. And another series that has been really fun is the Voyager series by Beth Hamilton and Jen Smith-Lanthier. So this year, there will be another volume for the really little people this time. That's such a cool series. You you know, they always do a number of pieces from every one piece, at least from every province. And it's just very creative. So we're not rushing those. We're not pushing. Those are the three that we're going to um, make sure that we have out in the next few months. Is it? We're, yeah. we're, we're taking it easy just because we know the market is still soft. So we want to, to have those for things like summer sizzle next year. And um, so everyone's recognizing that it's okay to just go a little bit slower than we normally do because we normally produce things really quickly. We're really noted for that. But um, COVID has taught us to slow down just a, a little and that as long as it gets out, we're good. (laughs) And hopefully with the return of live music festivals, because they are required to have that physical copy that teachers will be uh, more on top of making sure that all of their students have a copy. What's getting you excited in your musical life right now? What are you enjoying? So I'm looking forward to some, some changes because at CNCM, Canadian National Conservatory of Music, which I was one of the founding members, uh, we've just hired two new executive co-directors. So I'm looking forward to stepping back to be more of an advisor there, which will give me more time to work on the creative things in my life, get back to more playing. I want to do what I want to do. I don't yes. want to, I don't want to work anymore. Although it's still work. It's just, it's what I want to do. The creative aspect. I feel like uh, I've been uh, putting that on hold for a while. So that's my, my dream that we're going to be there, you know, in, in the new year that I'm going to have lots more time to do that. And of course with CNCM, it's so exciting to see the new people we've brought on and the ideas. And we hope to bring back summer sizzle as our live summer program just excited about sort of a new phase for me. And, and I think we're at a point where we've worked long enough and hard enough to be able to bring some new people into Deborah Wallace Music as well to allow us to do that and still be part of those organizations um, creatively, which is, mm-hmm. is my goal. So. Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. it's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you. It's always a pleasure. Um, we're going to wrap up with a few rapid fire questions. Favorite piece or song to perform? The one that sticks with me from a long time ago that I like to play um, is Hungarian by McDowell. But I also joke about my favorite piece to perform is probably the last one that I've created or arranged. I've done a lot of arranging as well in my life. So some of those arrangements that I've done, um, I go back to all the time just to relax, just to just to perform. So 
What is the best musical or career advice you can pass on to up and coming musicians? Well, I think it's all about following your passion, whatever aspect of that it is. I mean, you have to make a living. For me, it's about also being willing to, to put in the time. You know, it's when people say to you, you're so talented and the person says, well, it was practice. Another comment happens and the musician is trying to say, but it's practice. It's been a lot of hard work and it, it's not about ability or luck. It's about it's about hard work, just as with any job. Yes. So. You might have been born with the natural inclination to be artistic, but it was fostered through years and years of creative practice. What music are you listening to right now? Well, I have two people in my catalog who have inspired me to keep reading and looking for women composers. And so that's been really fun. Um, I have one of Sandra Mogison's CDs, but I love, uh, I love that because I feel like I really missed the boat on, on that. So it's really exciting for me to start to listen to this, but I put a plug in for my friend, Ernst Snyder, whose first piano concerto is now available by as a CD from Canadian Music Centre. So I would say that's, that's something that I would encourage everyone to listen to as well. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It was a pleasure to chat with you and I hope to have you on again. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. Good to see you. Some helpful ways that you can help out this podcast are leaving a written review, rating us five stars on a podcast app, liking and subscribing so that the new episode downloads go straight to your devices and share it on social media with your friends and family. It really helps to get the word out there. I'm so grateful for all the listeners showing up each week. And if you have someone you would like on the podcast, please let me know. I'm always happy to hear listener suggestions. So now for the giveaway, I want to give away one copy of my book, Loud and Clear, and this is open internationally because I also want to celebrate our international publisher, uh, 80 Days Publishing. And so what you have to do to enter is you need to leave a written review and rate us, and then you need to share it on social media, share it on your Facebook page, your Instagram, and if you could tag me in your social media posts or you can just send me a screenshot of your review and how you shared it. And you can share that with me through social media. Instagram is probably the easiest way to do that. So thank you for listening. I thank you for showing up. And also thank you so much for buying the book. We're now going through our fourth printing of the book. And I'm just so grateful for all of you who are teaching the music in your studio Really, I dedicated this book to my students. It was the book that I so wish I had as a student. And so it's really for my students. And it's because of people like you who buy the book that we're able to keep going, which is great and get the message out there. 
and that's it for this week. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Make sure you head over to saskatoonsymphony.org to purchase tickets for upcoming shows. And if you don't live in the Saskatoon area, you can watch these shows via concert stream by following the link at the top of the website. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.